the instructions that I got from uh, Gabe and Revezza were to keep this uh, to under a half hour. So that's what I'm gonna do. Uh, so come nine o'clock, we'll just, whether I'm done or not, we'll just uh, end the meeting. Uh, thank you so much for coming. It's so nice to see adults. I think that's my first reaction. Um, and I hope you're all doing well. Um, I think in this, um, Shabbos now is very chaotic. I'm sure it is different for everyone, depending on um, who's in the house for Shabbos. But for um, me and my husband, it is a little chaotic with the kids. But what has surprisingly become our favorite time is Shabbat morning when we all dive in together as a family. And my husband will actually take out a Tanakh and he'll read the, haf the Haftarah for our kids. We'll give them a lollipop. And it's kind of one of those moments where it's actually just like at shul, where we bribe them with candy to keep them quiet while we can finish davening. And it's actually turned out to be really nice. And that experience um, inspired me to do this series on the weekly Haftarah. So we'll get started with this week's Haftarah. As it is uh, Shabbat HaGadol, we read from Malachi. If it were Shabbat HaGadol for Parshat Tzav, we would read from Yirmiyahu. Um, and from the outset, um, from the outset, honestly, there is nothing about, um, there's nothing about this Haftarah that would make it seem special enough, I would say, to make it the, the Haftarah for Shabbat HaGadol. Um, usually the Haftarah connects to the Torah reading. Um, the past few Shabbatot we read, um, sections from Navi that connect to the Arba Parshiot, but in a reverse situation, our Shabbat is called Shabbat HaGadol from the second to last Pasuk of this week's Haftarah. So it's clearly a really significant, really significant portion of Navi, except as we'll see in a moment, nothing from the outset would make it seem um, significant enough to warrant, um, to warrant this. Um, there's a famous allusion to Eliyahu Navi um, coming in this almost Armageddon description. Um, and we know obviously Elio Anavi occupies this um, exciting role as a Seder. Um, but aside from that, there is, isn't really anything that would make it seem um, on the outset that this Haftarah should be so special. So I guess the basic question that we're starting with is really why is this section of Nivoah chosen? Um, so we'll start by just gaining a basic overview of the Psukim. I linked in the chat the source sheet that has all the Psukim kind of divided up. Um, so you can click on that to, um, to, to see the psukim. Um, and um, we'll come back to that key question of why are these psukim chosen? You know, Malachi is really only three prakim long, and it is the last book of Treasar, the last book of <laughs> the latter prophets. And this short book is organized as a conversation between Hashem and B'nai Yisrael. And throughout the book of Malachi, they each level accusations at each other. So Hashem accuses B'nai Israel of um, idolatry, unfaithfulness, ignoring, you know, the basic tenets. Um, and B'nai Israel accused Hashem of neglect, basically, of um, failing to maintain a presence, failing to uphold justice. Um, and this section, Parak Gimel, or nearly all of Parak Gimel, um, in a sense, picks up mid-conversation. And I put the, the kind of the, the beginning of that conversation right in the beginning. That part is not chosen as part of the Haftarah. But if you look at Perik Bet, um, the very beginning of, the, the, of, um, of part one, Perik Bet Pasuk Yud Zion, 
B'nai Yisrael accused Hashem of um, being good to evil people, basically this issue of theodicy, that the righteous suffer and the evil seem to be rewarded. So that is an accusation that B'nai Yisrael level at Hashem. And Hashem's response to that is, don't worry, there is this day coming where I'll send my messenger, Malachi, um, literally my angel, my messenger, also the name of, the, of this book of prophecy, um, and he will, um, he will um, enable this cleansing to happen. Um, and those words bolded um, using imagery of um, a metal worker who um, melts down the metal to purify it, burning off the dross, he'll purify you. And then after that, um, there's a more optimistic message. And with that optimistic message um, is where the Haftarah begins. Um, can I interrupt you for a second? Sure. So we're kind of new to this. I do not know where the source sheets are. So How do I look get at the, Okay, sure. So if you look at the bottom of the screen and you click on the chat button. Yeah. In the chat is a link. Hmm. We do not have a link in our chat. Okay, so I can email that to you directly. Um, let me put it actually again. Do you see it now? Nope. Maybe to. I'll go back down. Here, just try. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now yeah, I see it. Okay. Great. Perfect. Thank you. Sure, my pleasure. Thanks for thanks for saying that because I think a few people have that issue. Now, do I have yeah. to split my screen, or because I'm like not seeing you anymore? So where do I go for that? So you could uh, minimize one of them if uh -huh. you don't need my face filling your screen. <laughs> Um, or you could, you can kind of split it. All right. I think I did it somewhat. Okay. What are we? We're new to this. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> of course. Um, so the section that begins the Haftarah, um, what I'm calling part two on the source sheet, begins very optimistically. The Haftarah skips over the negative cleansing that's going to happen and begins with a really positive description of what's going to happen, a pasuk that we all recognize, there will once be a time, once again, where Hashem will, you know, anticipate um, our offerings, it'll be pleasing to Him. Um, and parenthetically, I should add that Ruff Cook um, was famous for saying that during the times of the third Beit HaMikdash, there will no longer be animal sacrifices. And he brings this pasuk from Malachi as support for that position that when Hashem describes the korbanot that will once again be um, pleasing to him, he uses the term mincha, a grain offering, um, as source for how there will, so this is support that there will no longer be animal sacrifices. But with this optimistic message um, about this end of days where once again our korbanot will be pleasing to Hashem, um, there's then a description, also in part two, the very beginning of our Haftarah, mm -hmm. that there'll be a time when um, Hashem will, in fact, um, level judgment. Um, so he'll punish those who take advantage of the weakest members of our society, the orphans, the widows. He'll punish those who are the obvious, the obvious wicked people, those who commit adultery, those who practice sorcery, those who swear falsely. Um, so our Haftarah is opening, again, with a very lovely, yet very generic description of, um, of the end of days. Um, and then, as I noted before, Malachi is this conversation between Hashem and B'nai Yisrael after this amazing description, 
um, Bnei Yisrael then turn to Hashem, and after Hashem says to them in Pasuk Zayin, return to me and I'll return to you. Such a beautiful message. But then the response of Bnei Yisrael have that is, but how are we going to do that? How are we going to return? And this question um, is partially answered in the next section of the Haftarah, where from Pasukhet to Yudbet, um, Hashem begs them to once again put their attention to um, bringing um, Trumot and Maastro that seem to have been forgotten. Um, this, this prophecy is during the Second Temple era, and it makes a lot of sense that people felt like they were, um, they were unable to give Truma and Master. The Ezra and Nechemi described the Second Temple era Jews as poor. It wasn't like they were prosperous. And it probably was legitimately very hard to, to give the tithes. Um, but nevertheless, Hashem um, begs them to once again try to make that a focus. Um, and if you do that, um, again, another, another ve very famous pasuk, um, in Pasuk Yud, if you try to, to make those charities a part of your life, then I'll respond, I'll respond with favor. Um, but again, I'll just add to that question we started with, nothing seems overtly Pesach themed, right? This is a very beautiful nevuah, but once again, our question still stands, why is this the Haftarah for Shabbat HaGadol? Not only that, why does the Shabbat before Pesach get its name from this Haftarah? The Haftarah continues, um, and here is a section where the attention is um, directly placed on those who actually do fear Hashem, those who are, who are trying to uphold the mitzvot, and who nevertheless have this great sense of apathy and cynicism because they, they look around them and they see that, um, if you, you see this most clearly um, in, um, in Pasuk Tetvav, they see that the arrogant people are happy, those people who have done evil are punished. Again, once again, this issue of theodicy, how is it that no justice seems to happen? And Hashem's response to that is, um, if you persist in the tshuva, um, then I promise you that um, once again, I'm looking, skip to the bolded pasuk, pasuk yedayin, v'hayuli amar shem tzokot liyom asher ani oseh skula, v'chamalti aleham, I'll have mercy on you, k'asher yachmol ish al-beno ha'avidoto. Like a father, has, like a man has mercy on his son who worships him, who serves him. And once again, in Pasuk Yitzchad, Hashem, Hashem says, if you really do serve me, and I promise you, you will see a difference. You will see that I will reward those who are righteous, punish those who are evil. I promise you'll see a difference between those who serve me and those who don't. Um, and there'll be a punishment for the wicked. And the Haftarah concludes. Um, and this through and This isn't just a conclusion to um, this parak, it's a conclusion to the book of Malachi. And not only is it a conclusion to the book of Malachi, um, it's a conclusion to all of Navi. Um, because Malachi is the is the last book chronologically of, of Navi. So Malachi kind of ends coming full circle. Um, trying to once again remind the people to remember Torah Moshe. Um, he describes this almost like Armageddon that's going to happen, led by Eliyahu Hanavi, and here's where the title, the term Shemar comes from. 
ענייני אנוכי שלכם את אליהו הנביא לפני בו יום השם הגדול והנורא, ואליהו's presence will proceed this great and terrible awesome day. And then פסוק כ"ד, which we um, reread only part of it because we want to kind of end um, the, the Kriya with a positive note. There'll be this reconcile um, between fathers and sons, relationships will be repaired, and then penavovicated um, the negative part, we obviously we reread the positive part so as not to end on a negative note. So that was a basic overview of the Haftarah. And once again, I just want to repeat the question we started with. Um, aside maybe from the reference to Eliwa Navi, there is no more than anything in the books of Yeshayahu, Yermiyahu, that would make this a talk about judgment days, a talk about messianic times, um, that would make it seem like this is the Nivua we need to be reading Erev Pasa. So to answer this question, I think what we really need to do is to think about the context in which uh, Malachi is written. He is, as I said before, the last of the Treasar, the last of the books of Navi. Chazal, as I noted in supplementary sources, um, they say on, in Masechet Yuma that Chagai um, Zechariah Malachi, when they died, prophecy was taken away from, from Yisrael. So basically, he is the last prophet, and this is the last book of prophecy. With all its gifts and challenges, prophecy was taken away with Malachi's death. Malachi lived during the Second Temple era, around um, 400, 460 BCE, in the same time period as Ezra Nehemiah. And as I mentioned before, the Second Temple era, the Jews who returned from, from Persia, from Bavel, they were poor, they were, uned they were uneducated. By and large, the Jews who found success and prosperity in the diaspora stayed there. And so Malachi is living in a time period where he's trying to persuade the Jews who have returned to Israel to rebuild the second Beit HaMikdash that, that they have to be all in. And he's trying to convince a generation that's really just exhausted, cynical, apathetic. Maybe they feel rejected by Hashem that, you know, this grand dream of rebuilding the second Beit HaMikdash wasn't as amazing as they envisioned it would be. He's trying to convince them that what they are in fact experiencing is Geu, is Geula. And it's amazing because, you know, we think about it, like, would we know Geula if we saw it? Malachi is trying to do exactly that. He's trying to inspire those Jews who feel apathetic that what they are in fact experiencing is significant. And he ends the Nivuah by imploring the nation to remember Torah Moshe. Uh, right? Pasuk Chafbed, Zichru Torah Moshe Avdi Asher Tziviti Oto Bechorev Al Kol Yisrael Chukem Umeshpatim. Remember the law of Moshe. And it's amazing because Moshe's first step, it's really coming full circle, Moshe's first step as a prophet was to convince an apathetic, somewhat cynical nation that what they were about to experience was going to be Geula. So in that sense, the, I, I guess what Malachi's role, um, when we think about what his job was and when he lived, it does have greater significance when we think about it as preparation for Lel HaSeder, preparing ourselves to think about, we are about to experience something significant. He was trying to do exactly that. Um, I also think it's significant that Lel HaSeder, uh, Jewish history takes on a very panoramic, larger than life view. Um, I always find it fascinating that it's very hard to pinpoint in the Haggadah when exactly the story of 
the the geula begins? Do you start from when the makot begins? Do you start from when they started being slaves? Do you start from when they go down to Mitzrayim? Do you start from Avram Avinu? Um, the Haggadah seems to have a very um, a very wide scope of when the story begins and when the story ends. And by Malachi ending with ending all of the books of Navi by saying, remember Moshe Rabbeinu and Eliyahu Navi is going to come, he kind of takes on this very panoramic view of Jewish history, also um, very befitting what we're experiencing Lel HaSeder. Another, um, another theme that when we start going a little deeper, we start seeing more connections between this Nevoah and, um, and Lel HaSeder is the relationship um, that Malachi describes, the, the Malachi is hoping for between father and son. He notes um, that B'nai Israel feel a sense of cynicism rejected by Hashem. Even those who fear Hashem feel that he's neglecting them. And he says um, in, Pasuk, in Pasuk Yud Zion, he says, if you do return and if you do, if you really do try to have this honest reconciliation, then I will have mercy on you like a father has mercy on his son. We know that Lelha Seder is really incredible that no other experience places the relationship between um, parent and child at the forefront as much as the Pasach experience that as we tell the story over to others, as we educate others and teach others, that's how we become inspired ourselves. Seeing the story through the eyes of others enables us to really feel the story. And so the relationship that Malachi is hoping for between Hashem and Bnei Yisrael is the relationship that we use Lel HaSeder to be able to then find a greater connection with Hashem. We become closer to Hashem on Lel HaSeder as we sit with, you know, our children and tell over the story. And think about the role that um, Manishtana, the Arba Banim have at the center at the beginning of Magid, helping us to do that. Something else that's a really powerful theme um, in how Malachi describes this father-son relationship is he notes um, service, avodah. Um, I'll read again Pasuk Yudzayin. V'chamalti alehem kashayachmol ish albeno ha'oved oto. I'll have mercy on you like a father has mercy on a son who serves him. This idea of avodah, which repeats again in the next Pasuk, Pasuk Yudchet, v'shavtim or item bein tzadik l'rasha bein oved elokim asher lo avadu. The idea of avodah was really an innovation when Moshe Rabbeinu got his first nevuah at the burning bush, when Hashem told him the whole goal of what you're going to do is to, um, to help B'nai Yisrael serve Hashem. Um, that the goal of coming out of Mitzrayim is service of Hashem. Um, and repeatedly throughout Lel HaSeder, we call what we're doing the Avodah. If you remember from the, from the Arba Banim, the four sons, one of the questions is, um, What is this service to you? Why are you doing it? 
he's the, the child is looking around at this pantomime, at the actions that we're doing that evening, and he's saying, what's the point? But we call avodah service in the temple, but on Loha Seder, we call what we're doing sitting around the Seder table, around the Seder plate in avodah. And so Malachi talking about avodah as the worship of Hashem also kind of in a sense prepares us for the avodah that's about to come. I want to conclude with one last idea, um, which is the part of this haftarah that's omitted. Um, if you notice, when we started, um, I put um, the very end of Perikipet and the beginning of Perikimel, um, I included that. Um, I called it part one on the source sheet. Those are not part of, those tukim are not part of the haftarah. And I think it's really interesting that they're not. Sometimes we can learn a lot, not by just what's included, by what, what isn't said. Um, and the reason why I find these Sukkim so surprising is because they use a metaphor to describe what Hashem is going to, to do um, by using a metaphor that seems exactly fitting for, um, for this season. Um, in describing the punishment that's going to precede this optimistic end of days, um, Malachi uses the imagery of a metal worker, as we noted before. Um, look at Pasuk Gimel, um, he's going to purify, um, he's going to purify the metal, purify the silver, just like silver and gold need to be purified in order to be seen as the precious metal, in order to be shiny, um, that's what Hashem is going to do. I found it fascinating that these Sukim are not included in the Haftarah, especially Erev Pasach, because a very common uh, term we use to describe Galut Mitzrayim is Kor Barzel, this idea of a melting pot. Um, and it's used, I put this on the supplementary sources, a few places in Tanakh where this is used in Dvarim, um, I took you out of Mitzrayim from that Kor Barzel. Um, and again, in Melachem and Yemrinyahu, throughout Tanakh, um, whether explicitly as Kor Barzel or whether by describing this metaphor of a metal worker melting down the metal to remove the dross, is used repeatedly throughout Tanakh to refer to Galut Mitzrayim. This idea that we had to experience Galut um, where Jews suffered, maybe even, you know, died um, in order to be refined. And I find it fascinating that those psukim in Malachi happen right before our Haftarah begins and yet are omitted. Uh, so why is that? I think there's a profound idea here. Um, and I think simply put, it's too painful a way to view Galut on Loha Seder. Loha Seder is a night where we live in a paradox. On the one hand, we're celebrating and commemorating this event in a manner that we can no longer participate in. Um, we cannot do a carbon Pasach. Um, on Yom Kippur, we acknowledge that, that we can't really do the Avodah of Yom Kippur by after Seder Avodah saying, right? We kind of recognize that we're not really doing what we're supposed to be doing. Um, the way that we're supposed to be doing it because we don't have a Beit HaMikdash and we're so lacking. And so we allow ourselves to mourn. But on Lel HaSeder, on a night that we're supposed to be celebrating our Geula, 
we can't afford to lose ourselves in that sorrow and to confront our experiences throughout Jewish history um, with the pain of what we have lost, of who we have lost, to call Mitzrayim Kor Barzel, to say that our experiences in Galut are ones in which we have been suffering, in which we have been punished, in which Hashem has caused us to have suffering, even if it's for a greater good of being refined, it's just too painful a memory for us to really have Loha Seder. And so what we do Loha Seder is instead of acknowledging that it's our sins that force us to not have a Beit Mekdash anymore, we, per, we call it a zecher. And I found a striking example of this in the Haggadah, that when we eat the Korech sandwich, we say zecher lemikdash kehillel. This should be the most heartbreaking moment of the Seder when we acknowledge that we aren't, we're doing maybe a, a shadow of what we really should be doing. And yet, instead of wallowing in that despair, we say we commemorate it and we allow ourselves with optimism to look toward the future. And I think that's exactly what's going on here when maybe it was Anchek Nesar Hagadola or later when in their wisdom they chose to start the Haftarah by skipping over that metaphor of Kor Barzel because the Haftarah guides us to feel a certain way and I have no doubt that um, they're expecting us to be <laughs> Um, those who chose it expect us to have more familiarity than maybe we do. We're supposed to realize that the Haftarah is picking up mid-conversation and expecting us to feel a certain way about the approaching events. And that's exactly what the job of a Navi is. A Navi is not somebody who's meant to predict the future or gaze into a crystal ball. It's somebody who's supposed to help us give the appropriate significance to the events that are happening around us. And by Reading this Haftarah from Malachi, the very last of the prophets in Jewish history, on Shabbat HaGadol, we're not just readying our houses for Pesach or reminding ourselves of the halachot about this Chag or reviewing even the words of the Haggadah. What we're really trying to do is ready our hearts and minds to have a different and broader view of Jewish history. And with that, um, I'd like to conclude and wish everyone a Chag Kasher V'Sameach, one that's full of personal and national redemption. Thank you all so much, and have a good evening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.